0: Today on Know the Truth, a new lesson from Philip DeCourcy.
1: The purpose of the Bible is not to make us wise. It's to make us wise unto salvation. The point of the Bible is not to indeed teach us morality. The point of the Bible is to bring us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is about making a wise choice about who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us
0: Welcome to Know the Truth. Some people study the Bible to gain wisdom. Some study it to be well-rounded in the subject of religion. And some study the Bible to gain morality. But today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCoursey explains the real reason the Bible exists is so that we can know and follow Jesus Christ. It's a brand new message titled The Good Book from the Without Apology series. And if you'd like to access the complete series, you can find it online at ktt.org or on the KTT app or podcast.
1: Here's Pastor Phil. On his 80th birthday, Winston Churchill deflected a compliment that said that he was the lion that defeated Nazi Germany during the Second World War. Speaking to the combined houses of parliament, he said this, it was a nation, a race dwelling around the globe that had the lion heart. I had the luck to be called upon to give the roar. Now, if you watched the movie, The Darkest Hour, his ability to roar was legendary. In fact, someone said of Churchill, he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. His words helped the British people stay calm and carry on. His words rallied the troops that had come back from Dunkirk. His words struck fear into the heart of Hitler. And his words caused the British people to believe that victory was possible. In fact, it was said that when Hitler spoke, he could persuade you he could do anything. But when Churchill spoke, he could persuade you that you could do anything. Churchill's words were inspiring words. They dripped with life and hope. They give courage to those that listened. And the Bible tells us that life and death is in the power of the tongue, and Churchill is a great example of that in the positive. But as we come to look at Second Timothy chapter 3, and especially verses 16 and 17, we would have to say to ourselves, what's true of the inspiring word of man is much more greatly true of the inspired word of God. Churchill's words inspired man, but God's words inspire man to a far, far greater degree. They are a transfusion of strength, of peace, of joy, of knowledge about everyday life and eternal life. The Bible is the living and powerful word of God. It's able to empower us to live lives that are strong and significant and satisfying for God's glory. The inspiring word of a man like Churchill is one thing. The inspired word of the living God is contained in the Bible, quite another. We've already alluded to the fact that words are weary. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21. And if words count and they do, then the words of the creator count more than any other. And guys, we need to remind ourselves that the God of the Bible is not silent, unlike the idols that have mouths that do not speak. He speaks, and God has spoken, and He has spoken through His Word, and it's inspired, and it's inerrant, and it's authoritative, and it's complete, and it's breathed out, and it's able to make us wise unto salvation. It's able to make us complete, and it's able to equip us unto every good work. And so we want to come and Look at this critical passage. The sentiments and statements that we have talked about are echoed in this passage before us. This is a passage that explains the nature of God's Word and its ability in the lives of those that read it and believe it. In fact, Paul is writing to a young minister, and he wants him to anchor his preaching and his pastoring to the impregnable and inerrant Word of God. If you look at the context of chapter 3, you'll realize that there's a rising tide of sin in the society and error in the church. So Paul calls Timothy to stand firm in his commitment. Look at verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Timothy must do ministry with a Bible in hand. Timothy must do ministry strictly by the book. Timothy must strive to be a biblicist, and he must do this because of the threatening trends. In verses 1 through 9, we read of difficult times that are emerging, where men are lovers of themselves, lovers of their own voice and opinions. Yet according to verse 13, they are deceiving themselves and others through their words. Timothy must commit himself to the inerrant word of God because of the threatening trends, because of the example of Paul. He's to continue in the things which he had learned, and he learned them from Paul and also from his mother and his grandmother which would remind us too he was to commit himself not just because of the threatening trends, not just because of the outstanding example of the Apostle Paul, but also the heritage which he had enjoyed. That from a child he had known the Scriptures. And you know what? He was to continue to believe what his mother had believed. He was to continue to believe about the Bible, what his grandmother had taught him. In fact, in his book on taking God at his word. Kevin DeYoung says this. I remember on a conference panel, someone asking John Piper, why did you conclude inerrancy is true? The first thing out of his mouth surprised everyone. He said, because my mama told me it's true. Yet that wasn't a throwaway line or a glib remark crafted for a fact. Piper was capturing something deeply true in many of our lives and deeply biblical. It's not necessarily a sign of growth to move past the faith of your childhood and not necessarily a weakness to believe the same thing as your parents throughout your life. In fact, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. You know what? You've committed yourself to pastoring and preaching from the Word of God. You've got to do that against the background of a collapsing culture. You've got to do that against the foreground of my own example and the heritage that you got from your family. And then you've got to do it because of the nature of Scripture itself. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. The Word of God will indeed add power and impact to what you're doing. It's the means by which you will accomplish God's purposes in your life. And so we come to look at these verses, and there's three things that these verses show us concerning the Scripture concerning the good book. Number one, the nexus of Scripture. What connects the Word of God together? Then the nature of Scripture, it's inspired. And then the necessity of Scripture, it alone is able to bring us to salvation and to grow us in our faith and to complete us in our desires to live a life that glorifies God. So let's look at the first two, the nexus of Scripture and the nature of of Scripture. As I say, the word nexus carries the idea of the means of connection or the point of integration. And so applied to the Word of God, it speaks about the Bible's central theme, the nexus of Scripture, its central theme, its big story. And the subject that connects all the verses, all the chapters, all the books of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. And that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The nexus of scripture, the integrating center of scripture is the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving work on behalf of sinners. That's what Timothy came to see. That's what his mother and his grandmother taught him. As they shared the stories of the Old Testament and the Word of God, Timothy came to see that one had been promised who would come, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And Timothy had come to indeed embrace that truth. And so according to Paul, the message of Christ, the Redeemer, is the scarlet thread that binds the Bible together. Listen, guys, according to Paul, the purpose of the Bible is not to make us wise. It's to make us wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. The point of the Bible is not to indeed teach us morality. The point of the Bible is to bring us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is about making a wise choice about who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. Essentially, the Bible is a handbook on salvation centered on the person and work of Christ. You just need to hear that. That might seem like theology 101 for some of you, but it might come with a certain freshness to others. The Bible is not a handbook on how to have a sizzling marriage, how to spice up your sex life, how to climb the ladder of success, how to love better, how to beat the blues, how to have health and wealth. I'm not saying the Bible doesn't address those issues. But that's the byproduct. That's the inference of something far more important. Rather, at the heart of the Bible is the story of creation, the fall of man, redemption in Jesus Christ, and consummation at the end of the ages for all the righteous. And so since the Bible is a book concerning salvation, and since salvation comes by means of faith alone in Christ alone, the Bible by necessity focuses its attention on Christ. Think about it this way. In the Old Testament, he is coming. In the Gospels, in the Acts, and in the Epistles, he has come, and that is explained to us. In the Acts, Epistles, and Revelation, he is coming again. The Bible is all about the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming to indeed surrender up his life and death for our sin. In fact, DA Carson says something very telling. Think about this, the entire Bible pivots on one weekend in Jerusalem about 2000 years ago. It's true. And let me put it another way. In the Old Testament Jesus is predicted In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed. In the Acts of the Apostles, Jesus is preached. In the letters, Jesus is explained. And in the book of the Revelation, Jesus is expected. That's the nexus of Scripture. Timothy, you know this, that from a childhood, you have known the Scriptures, and they have indeed made you wise unto salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think some more about this. Guys, you realize that the Bible is actually a compilation of 66 books. We call it the book, but it's really a library of books. It's a compilation of 66 books written by over 40 different authors over a time span of 1,500 years. Yet the amazing thing is there's one storyline. There's one unifying theme. There's one subject that holds it all together, and it's the story of God's love for us in Christ. If you miss that, you haven't understood your Bible. In fact, this is Jesus' theology, isn't it? This is Jesus' theory of the Bible. If you go to John 5 and verse 39, he's engaged in a conversation with the thinkers and theologians of his day, and I want you to notice what he says. In John 5 verse 39, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these, that is the Scriptures, they testify of me. I'm the nexus of Scripture. You know that encounter he had with the two discouraged disciples on the road to Emmaus over in Luke chapter 24, and as he engages them, He hasn't yet disclosed himself, but he will. And as he does, he brings them to see that what has just happened in Jerusalem was indeed foretold in the Scriptures. Look at Luke 24, verse 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses, the Pentateuch, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He'll go on in verse 44. He said to them, these are the words which were spoken to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. It couldn't be plainer guys. From the mouth of the Lord Jesus, he's telling us that when Moses wrote, when David and Asaph wrote, when Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel wrote, when Micah wrote, and Zechariah wrote, they were writing about him, the one who was promised, the one who would come. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, we read that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And on the third day, he rose according to the scriptures. Guys, the Bible is about Christ. It's about your need of him. It's about man being made in God's image, man disobeying God's commands, man walking away from God, living under the judgment of God. The world is cursed. But the story is that God had a solution before the problem that Jesus Christ would come as God's son and die for our sin on a knob of a hill outside the city of Jerusalem and there pay for our sins so that we indeed can go back into a relationship with the God after whose image we were made and for whose purposes we were created. And you know what? The work of Jesus Christ hasn't finished because when it's all said and done, he's going to restore this old world back to a time and a condition prior to the fall of man. That's what the Bible's all about. That's why Michael Horton is right when he says if one is looking primarily for a book of stories designed to teach a moral lesson, the Bible may not be as good as Aesop's fables. All of the Bible heroes represent sinfulness, disobedience, half-heartedness, and pride as well as faith and obedience, the real hero is God, who remains faithful to his promise in spite of human sin. No moral instruction comes easily to us, but the gospel is not in us by nature. It must be revealed from heaven. This is chiefly why we have the Word of God. To preach the Bible as the handbook for life, or as the answer to every question, rather than as a revelation of Christ, is to turn the Bible into an entirely different book. This is how the Pharisees approached the Scripture. However, as we can see clearly from the questions they asked Jesus, all of them amounting to something akin to trivial pursuits. What happens if a person divorces and remarries? Why do you disciples pick grain on the Sabbath? Who sinned this manner as parents? that he was born blind. For the Pharisees, the Scriptures were a source of trivia for life's dilemmas. To be sure, Scripture provides God-centered, divinely revealed wisdom for life. But this, were its primary objective, Christianity would be a religion of self-improvement by following examples and exhortations, not a religion of the cross. And so you and I need to grasp that, the nexus of Scripture. There's a great story in the book, himself by A.B. Simpson, where he once saw a picture of the Constitution of the United States. It was skillfully engraved in a copper plate, so that when you looked at it closely, it was nothing more than a piece of writing. But when you stood back, it was the face of George Washington. The face shone out in the shading of the letters at a little distance. You could see a person, not the words not the ideas. And A.B. Simpson reflected on that experience, and this is what he said, this is the way to look at the Scriptures and understand the thoughts of God, to see them and end them, the face of love shining through and through, not ideas, not doctrines, but Jesus himself as the life and source and sustaining presence of all of life. It's true. You know what? You look at the Scriptures, you read the words, the thoughts, the ideas, but you need to step back and understand that from Genesis to Revelation, fundamentally and foremost, there is a story concerning a person who came into the world to see of sinners. That's the nexus of the Scripture. Now, before I move on, if Jesus Christ is the subject of the Bible, then number one, I should seek beyond my reading of the Bible an experiential knowledge of Christ. We love the word of God because the word of God points us to the one who can capture all our love. That's why the hymn writer said, beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. We are to read the word of God with the intention of striking up a conversation with the living Christ who lives in us. We want our knowledge of him in the head to percolate down to an experience of him in the heart. And so be careful in reading the scriptures not to miss Christ. And so if Jesus is the nexus of scripture, I must seek an experiential knowledge of him. Number two, in studying the scripture, I must look for the redemptive trajectory of the text. What I mean by that is while Not every scripture, especially in the Old Testament, addresses the gospel or Jesus Christ directly. The book or the direction of that book will, by its trajectory, point towards the one who is coming because that's what the Old Testament is about. And so when you're reading about King David, you might want to think about the greater David that's coming. When you think about Solomon, you want to think about the greater Solomon that's coming. When you read about the sacrifices and the lambs that were slaughtered in the temple and the tabernacle, you might want to think about the Lamb of God that indeed takes away the sin of the world. Wherever you are, especially in the Old Testament, remember that Moses wrote and the Psalms are written and the prophets spoke with Jesus in mind. So you read with Jesus in mind.
0: What a great reminder. This is Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy and the start of a message titled The Good Book. If you missed any of today's lesson or want to listen again, you'll find it at ktt.org. And we're glad to have you with us today. As a faithful listener of Know the Truth, we want to take a moment to thank you for your support. It's your listening, sharing, and giving that keeps this Bible teaching program on the air, bringing the truth of God's Word to people across the country and abroad. In this month, I want to invite you to take your support a step further by becoming a Truth Ambassador. These monthly supporters give an automated gift of $25, $50, $100 or more to share the gospel and help other believers become more firmly rooted in God's Word. You'll receive a welcome package with recently written books by Philip and other exclusive benefits. And as a bonus, we'll also send you a custom Know the Truth shirt as a special thank you. This special gift is for those who become monthly truth ambassadors during January, and it will regularly remind you that you are a faithful member of the Know the Truth team. Finally, when you become a truth ambassador, or give a one-time gift of any amount, you'll receive the book Living by God's Promises. It will help you treasure the promises that God establishes in Christ and conveys in his covenant love to comfort you in sorrow and strengthen your faith. So call 888- or give online at ktt.org or if you'd prefer to write, address your envelope to Know the Truth Post Office Box 30250 Anaheim Hills, California 92809 and if you haven't already, look for us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter and get connected with our online community. There you'll stay up to date on upcoming events ministry announcements, fellowship opportunities and much more Just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, signing off. But join us tomorrow as Philip continues today's message all about the Bible titled, The Good Book. That'll be Friday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.